The text for the message this morning is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 to 2, verse 13. There were two men, unknown to us, but probably known to Timothy and the churches in Asia, two men who will be memorialized because of their abandonment and desertion from the preaching of the gospel from Paul. Their true colors were revealed in the time of hardship. And Paul gives their names so that they would not have any opportunity to cause further damage in the church or to give room for the timid to justify their lack of service, say, well, they, they didn't do it. If you want an example of faithful service, don't look to Figilus and Hermogenes and people like them who don't believe in the reality of the victory that Christ has gained for all the citizens of the eternal kingdom of God, people who don't love their neighbors enough to desire their conversion through the preaching of the gospel, don't look to them, but look to Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus, whose name means help bringer, was well known in Ephesus where Paul says in verse 18 that the believers there knew even better about all that he had done to serve the churches. Now it's striking if you look at 2 Timothy 1 verse 16. The prayer for Paul is for the household of Onesiphorus. Although it was Onesiphorus himself alone who had traveled to Rome who had diligently searched for and eventually found Paul. It was a big city and there were many people being imprisoned. And then refreshed him. Onesiphorus' household would have also had to make difficult sacrifices in different ways to make this possible. You see, the, the impact of service also on, on families and, and households. And so then together... The, we commit to service. Well, Paul's prayer is that just as Onesiphorus found Paul, that he might find mercy from the Lord on that day. That points that mercy to sometime in the future, which is probably a reference to the day of Christ's return, which suggests that, that Onesiphorus had given his life in service to the Lord. It was too late for him to be shown mercy in this life as Paul had prayed for his household. And then we see that picture. It's very real. That service that comes at, at such a great cost. Serving one another when no one else in the world would. That's why it's called a holy calling. A calling that's set apart. A calling that's distinct for Christians. We are as God's people, the only ones who serve one another in this way. And so we continue to pray that God may grant mercy to everyone who makes these sacrifices to guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to the church, like we read in verse 14. Well, besides serving fellow Christians in the present time and as we think about that for our own lives what that will look like that won't be exactly the same as second timothy but there's a calling today to to see christians in need today 
The church is also called besides this to serve the coming generations by entrusting the deposit of the gospel into their care. And that's as we come to, to chapter 2, we see that. We've already seen how this can happen in the home as grandparents and parents teach their children. And now in our text, the Holy Spirit directs us to the more specific task of preparing people to serve as teachers of all that the apostle had taught in the presence of many witnesses. And if you look at 2 Timothy 2 verse 2, you can see what this teaching looks like. First of all, we see that the responsibility, the first responsibility is given to Timothy, the evangelist, who is to ensure that the churches carry on this responsibility. Passing on the flame of the Word is the responsibility of the churches for the churches. In the second place, we notice the content of the teaching. Which, which was to include all that we have heard from the apostle in the presence of many witnesses. And then if we look at the, the text, we can see that this teaching, verse 9, is the word of God, which cannot be bound. And then if you look at verses 8 to 10, it's, it's a teaching about our salvation in Jesus Christ, the offspring of David, risen from the dead, so that we might look forward to eternal glory. The teaching is teaching of, of Old Testament instruction and promises and, and New Testament and, and the doctrine of the resurrection and Christian living. And so as we have a classical exam student who would like to, to be declared eligible for call this, this week in Classes Alberta, you'll see it's those very same topics that are the focus of the examination. The third thing we notice is that the people who are to be taught are to be faithful and able to teach others. That word faithful that Paul uses has a sense of competent or, or qualified, which points to people who have the Holy Spirit, people who are motivated by love for, for God and for his church and, and not motivated by personal ambitions or, or greed. People who we read in, in verse 15 of chapter 2 are who are able to rightly handle the word of truth. People who are not ashamed of the gospel or afraid for the, or of suffering for that gospel. And then as you see who are able to, to teach others and already our minds are thinking who are we to pick out for this training even in our own congregation? We, we know that teachers are those who are not only knowledgeable but also empathic. They understand where people are coming from. They are patient. That's the whole point of, of teaching. They are insightful and wise and discerning. They stay focused on what's important, and as we'll see later, not on, on irreverent babble and, and gossip. And so who are these people? Well, the apostle makes it clear that if we are serious about ensuring the next generation guards the good deposit of the gospel, both men and women in their different roles and circumstances who have been commanded by Paul to teach, they must be prepared for this task. And although this command to teach 
correctly serves as the basis for the creation and the support of a seminary of the churches and for the churches that we support in, in Hamilton. This text also serves as a basis for all that training, for catechism instruction, for men and women training one another to teach the gospel in their own circumstances, training of men for offices of elder and deacon, and then we could think of several other scenarios. The point is, brothers and sisters, think about the next generation and serve them by raising up more teachers. Serving one another, we see, takes many different forms. Sometimes it requires us to, to travel, to seek out the oppressed. Sometimes it requires us to see the, those who are vulnerable around us, imprisoned for their faith or in dangerous situations. Sometimes it requires us to speak in defense of those who obey God rather than men to preach. Sometimes it requires us to support people who do this in other ways. Sometimes it looks like training future leaders or supporting those who train future teachers. But in every case, and as you're thinking through that list, you can see it involves getting rid of selfishness and a desire for self-preservation. Hearing the gospel, knowing the gospel, and even believing that we and our families is, are saved by Jesus Christ. That's only the beginning of the Christian life. We have a tendency to hoard that feeling of security. But the gospel is not a treasure to be hoarded, to be kept inside our walls. And so when the Lord calls us to that holy calling, he calls us to move sometimes even outside of our, our comfort zones, our, our little comfortable life surrounded by our families to face the reality of the spiritual warfare that we are in, to, to give ourselves in self-sacrificial love and service. And he does this by pointing out that we serve the Lord and submit to him. The three illustrations that the text moves into in verse 3 compare Christians to, to warriors, to athletes, and to hard-working farmers who stand out from the world for their spirit-led submission to our commander and our lawgiver. The first illustration you see is of a soldier. It's starting verse 3, 3 and 4. A soldier who is called to leave all the other affairs of this life so that he might serve the will of his commanding officer with wholehearted devotion. And you think about that, we're reminded of the, the war drafts when men and women were called to get up and to leave friends and family and homes and farms and, and businesses behind so that they could head out overseas to fight in one of the great wars. We could think of full-time soldiers today who, who get deployed to foreign countries. And they're out on the battlefield. Those soldiers are not entangled in civilian pursuits. Their eyes are focused on the battle. They are no longer masters of their own lives, but they serve only the one who enlisted them. And Paul says it's the same for Christians. We are on a battlefield. We have 
a Lord and Master who is the King of an eternal kingdom, and He has enlisted us in His grace to serve in that holy calling as citizens of the kingdom of God who are seeking the repentance and the conversion of all who have rebelled against the Lord. And in that picture we see that our prayer is that our plans may never have more importance than the will of the Lord and the advance of His kingdom. May those who preach the gospel be free from all the worries of this life. May those who, who, who push forward in the advance of the kingdom be able to do so with wholehearted focus. And then we are reminded of our Lord Jesus' words, and words that ride with us every day, the command to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then the assurance and all these other things will be added to you. The athlete illustration also highlights submission. But now it looks at it from the perspective of the rules of the game and the danger of being disqualified by the judge before we get to the end of the race. And so in this illustration, the crown is like a participation ribbon that everyone who finishes the marathon will receive. And the people who are disqualified are only the people who, who break the rules, who do not endure to the end. They don't receive the crown. And then the exhortation is clear, brothers and sisters, no matter how difficult your race is, do not turn away from the Lord and the promise of, of the life that is in Jesus Christ. Endure until the end. And as you are enduring, and you don't know when you'll get there. You don't even know what that road will look like. As you're enduring, obey the rules. Walk in the way of grace, trusting in the Lord, receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior every step of the way. Finish the race. The third illustration of the hardworking farmer is used by the Holy Spirit to encourage diligent commitment to our task. And, the, and the only, as the only way to share in the fruits of all your labor. We're called to put in effort. And you can think about that. If you do not put effort into your friendships or into your relationships or into, or into your marriages or into your relationship to God, but you just coast along in a lazy and a complacent way, you'll find that you veer away from the path. We don't come become closer to one another when we coast. If we do not sow, we do not reap. And so Paul urges us to wholehearted devotion and focus, to walking in the way of the Lord, and to be diligent and deliberate and continual in our submission to God. Paul could pray that Onis Onesiphorus might, that God might grant Onesiphorus mercy on that day because he had seen Onesiphorus walking diligently in this way. Well, in our fast-paced, busy life and in the 30 minutes or so that we reflect on this in a, in a sermon, there's a lot of information, a lot of things coming in, and it's good to pay attention to verse 7 in our text. 
where, where Paul says, think over what I say. We rarely stop to observe and consider. And it's an important instruction. Think over what I say. Consider how each of these illustrations describes you in your role in this congregation. Think about what it means to be a hard-working farmer in your Christian life. Think about the relationship between your actions and the consequences for your lives. Think over the illustration of the athlete, the rules that God has given to keep you in the race, and the connection between training and godliness and endurance. Think over the implications of being a good soldier of Christ, whether you are leading a troop into battle or following along your responsibility to ensure that no soldier is left behind, the expectations for comfort in this life that are actually reasonable for you as a soldier to, to cling to. Think about these things. And when we think over these things, then we see that that prepares us to share in suffering. So verse 3, Paul says, a good soldier shares in suffering. They take the burdens of others and they put them on their own shoulders to, to carry them along. No soldier is left behind. And if a fellow soldier is trapped in an attack, a good soldier gets into the fray and puts his own life in danger to, to rescue him. Good soldiers do not flee away when the going gets tough like Figilus and Hermogenes, but they get into the struggle. They serve the cause of their commanding officers. And this remains true today, for we are in a spiritual warfare. We see brothers and sisters getting overwhelmed by the enemy, by the devil, the world, and the sinful desires of the old nature. We're in this battle. It's not possible to, to just coast along. It's a struggle to get to the end of the race. And in that race, be a good soldier. The struggle to get to the end of the race, and even more so when we seek to obey the command to finish the race as an assembly of believers. Notice that Paul made decisions for his life for the sake of the elect, verse 10. It's not just about getting yourself across the line and getting your own little bubble across the line. It's getting there with everyone whom God has chosen and appointed to salvation, verse 12, both of this generation and the next. It's a calling, brothers and sisters, to get down on our knees to help the beaten Samaritan rather than walking by because we want to keep our clothes clean for an imaginary form of Christianity. Christianity. 
The Holy Spirit urges Timothy, therefore, in verse 1 of chapter 2, to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, citizens of God's kingdom, remember that before anything else, they are in the struggle on the side of the victorious offspring of David who fulfilled Psalm 18 that we sang together, who rose from the dead because of God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. Paul's gospel, the truth revealed by the Holy Spirit to the church, promises that everyone who abides in Christ, everyone who endures in that gospel, faithful in the, in the midst of all the opposition and persecution, will also obtain the glory with Christ. You see that obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That's verse 10. Certainly as a farmer knows that, he, that, that fruits result from labor, so sure can we be that when God promises something, he will keep it. He cannot deny himself. There is glory on the other side of the suffering for those who are in Christ Jesus. For our King already is in glory, our head, the head of the body. And this glory is beautifully described in the hymnic verses of the trustworthy saying that we'll also sing together. If we have died with him. That means if we have let go of our earthly pursuits and, and treasures in this life so that he remains our king even when we die. Well, the glorious result is that we will also live with him. Not only today during the struggle, but also in everlasting fellowship with God in a new heavens, in a new earth. And the hymn continues, if we endure, that is, if we persevere in the faith and remain committed to Christ and confident in his resurrection and the consequences for us so that we do not fear death, the promise is we will also reign with him on that day when he returns in glory to judge the living and the dead. And the opposite is true also. If we deny him, if we rebel against our commanding officer, or we rebel against the rules, or we become lazy in our faith, or we desert and turn away from our brothers and sisters in need, or fail to educate the next generation in the faith, just to mention a few examples from our text, if we deny him, then he also will deny us. If we are faithless, our, faithful, our, our faithlessness and our disloyalty and our disowning of the King of Kings, it doesn't cause him to become weak. It doesn't cause him to be unfaithful to him, his promises. It doesn't cause him to deny who he is. And so the order is very clear. Whoever turns from the Lord. Whoever is disqualified from the race will be punished. But whoever trusts in God to save them, who seeks to live their lives in, in line with that holy calling of service and love, we will reign with Him forever. And that's because we belong to Him. 
We're united to His body. And He can't deny who He is. It's only when Christians, strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, are resting in the, the calm of the guarantee of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Those who are living in that peaceful relationship with God, not afraid to, to pray to Him and call Him their Father. It is only when we live in that peace that we also begin to more easily obey the command of the Spirit to share in suffering to do whatever God calls us to do, even if it calls for, causes discomfort or ridicule, the loss of goods and kindred. Faith in Christ's victory takes away fear. Conviction of our citizenship in an unseen, everlasting kingdom of God helps us to see that there's no shame in being persecuted because you follow Jesus Christ. And that worldly rage against the church just confirms that everything is as it should be. Strengthened by the grace of God, we can gladly accept the suffering and the loss that sometimes we face, loss of comforts because of our faith. The Lord, may the Lord help us to be strong and courageous. It is, it's a difficult role not so much for us here in North America, but for so many of our brothers and sisters around the world. It's a different, different, difficult world of suffering, but it's a road that leads to glory. And as you walk on that road, brothers and sisters, serve one another. Submit to the Lord as He has revealed Himself in His unbound Word and share in suffering without fear or shame. For the promise is given to everyone who professes their faith in Jesus Christ. We saw it again as we walked in this morning. It was displayed, 1 Peter 5, verse 10. And I add 11. After you have suffered a little, the God of grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen.